We turn now to the Old Testament. This is a passage which talks about fasting, which is why I chose it, related to our section in Matthew we are working on later for the sermon. Hear now the word of the Lord from 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 15. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died. The servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. David said to his servant, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. When the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Now we turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, beginning with verse 14 to 17. Here are the words of our Savior, also in this chapter, Matthew 9. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed but new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Since the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of God abides forever. Let us pray. O Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for giving us your word. And now may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, the word of God, our life, and the lifeblood of all of our, uh, these people on earth. Grant, O Lord, our request to understand your word in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are working in Matthew, as you know, and we are now in this place where Jesus has been eating with tax gatherers and sinners. seems that these pair always come together. Uh, And he had just uh, justified his uh, eating with these folk in the previous passage, and now we come up to this place where during this meal, the disciples of John 
come up to Jesus and ask about why they are not fasting. We are leading up to uh, really the end of this chapter where Jesus is about to send out workers into the harvest. And it's an anticipation of the age that is about to unfold the age that you and I live in after our Lord Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, now he's going to lay down the foundation of the church through the apostolic witness. And that's anticipated pretty soon. So we will see that. But for now, he is dealing with this question that he's asked. And the question is, uh, why do they not fast? So they're eating in a uh, place that you know, people know he's in there eating, and obviously uh, John's disciples are fasting and wondering why Jesus and his disciples don't fast like they, like they do. Uh, and Jesus' response is quite interesting, and I'll ask you to think about this uh, as we uh, unpack this passage. You see, it's striking that what Jesus responds in basically two sections here The first one, he talks about the bridegroom. He says, well, they can't mourn while the bridegroom is with them. So you're not going to have this mourning going on when the bridegroom's here. That would be inappropriate. So that's why they're not fasting. And frankly, brothers and sisters, when you see that, you should say to yourself, well, that's adequate answer. That answers the question of John's disciples. But Jesus goes on. And this is what is, in a sense, a little surprising. He goes on to add something that really is different, this business of the cloth patch and the wineskins. It's not really needed in the answer. So he's adding this, and now we ask the question, why? And because of that, we're going to answer that question of why and reflect upon that point. It's actually pretty important for uh, our life today. Now, before we uh, get into the text uh, carefully, one of the things we have to do is establish the text. That's, you know, that's the term we use when we're studying the scripture carefully. We establish what the text is. If you're reading the a different version from mine, I was reading the English Standard Version, but if you're reading a different version like the New King James, for example, or the NIV, it actually says that the disciples of John said, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? So the word often is found in some translations, Uh, but it wasn't found in the ESV, so I didn't read it that way. Uh, Now, this brings up a question of which is original, which is part of the word of God, is the word often in the word of God, that we should understand it as being original. I bring this up because sometimes people rail against the scripture saying, well, we don't have the original pieces of of parchment or paper that the apostles wrote on, Matthew in this case. We don't have that original paper, so we have no idea what he said. (laughs) Okay, we do. (laughs) You'll have to take my word for it. Uh, in, In a previous life, this was actually part of my job was to uh, reflect upon these things and teach these things and work on this problem. Uh, So this is not a minor thing for me. This was part of my profession. Uh, And I took it very seriously. I did a lot of work on this over the years. So um, let me me say this. If often is not in the text, or if it's in the text, 
What's the big deal? <laughs> See, it doesn't change any doctrine of, of Christianity. So that's the way these things are. Furthermore, Mark and Luke have often. It's in Mark and Luke, in the parallel. So if you read those accounts of this episode, often is in the text. It's a different Greek word, but it is still there. So we have redundancy in Scripture. We know the Word of God on the essentials of the faith. We're not in any doubt. And we have thousands upon thousands of handwritten manuscripts. I think, I think the number right now is 6,000, which is incredible. If you're going to read Plato, sometimes you have one manuscript from a thousand years after he wrote it. And that's the earliest we have. Not true of the New Testament. Now, I'm going to cut to the quick here and tell you. I think often is original. I think, I think uh, what they asked him and what Matthew originally wrote was often. We have a lot of manuscripts that have that here. And the ESV simply chose not to put it in, thinking it wasn't original. And I think it is original. There's good reason to think that. Uh, so here's what they asked. Why do the Pharisees, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? So that's, that's what we're working with. The, the fact that they are fasting often. That's the word that I believe is in the original. There's good reason to think that. Okay. Now we're going to talk about fasting in general. First of all, we talk about fasting among John's, uh, Jesus contemporaries. And then we're going to talk about fasting with Jesus. First of all, the contemporaries. So we have the disciples of John and the Pharisees. First of all, you should know that the Old Testament prescribed fasting in, one, in just one place. So God commanded the people of God in only one place to fast, and that was on the Day of Atonement. Uh, and that's found, for example, in Leviticus 16. And it actually says, on the Day of Atonement, you will afflict yourself. And that includes fasting. That's what most people think. And then other, uh, other ways of abstaining from pleasure, basically. You, you afflict yourself, and fasting would be part of that. And that's it. That's the only place where you have fasting commanded. It was on one day of the year on the Day of Atonement. Uh, and then what happened is, over time, people added fast days. So these were added to scripture. They were added as customs that people engaged in. Uh, doesn't necessarily make them bad, but it means that they're not commanded by God and people of God are not required by them. So as far as regular fasts, there's just that one day, but then they were added. So for example, after the first temple was destroyed, Solomon's temple, when the Babylons and Babylonians invaded in uh, 587 BC, uh, that became a fast day. So they marked the destruction of the Temple of Solomon as a day of fasting. That was custom in Israel at the time. In Joel 1, you hear about solemn assemblies, and that would be fast days. So basically, you, the leaders of Israel would call solemn assemblies. Uh, in Nehemiah 9, you hear about a day of fasting with sackcloth and earth on their heads. And it would be similar to what you saw in David. When he was praying, 
and adding a fasting to his prayer to make his appeal to God the single-minded focus of his life at that point. And that's what fasting does. It takes away distractions from your prayer. So that you're really, you know, you're focused on that. When you feel the hunger, you know that you're, you're doing that because you want to look to the Lord. And it gives you that reminder that you look again to the Lord uh, and are attending to Him and calling upon Him to answer you. It's not that He looks at fasting and says, well, that's, that's virtuous and meritorious, I better answer. <laughs> He's going to answer your prayers because He cares for you. Uh, the fasting is really for your sake, so that you would attend to him uh, more carefully and, you know, take away the distractions. Um, and so there is a, a sense in which fasting was a voluntary act of piety. There's nothing wrong with it, okay? Uh, but the idea that is brought to Jesus is how come... You guys are not fasting often like we are. In other words, what we're doing is what you should be doing. Now you see fasting becomes part of the law. It becomes part of the practice that you have to do regularly in the ways that they are doing it. So their tradition becomes requirement for you. And that's where you have to be really careful. Not necessarily uh, something bad about tradition. Some traditions are good and uh, are things based on scripture, of course, uh, can become traditional. There's nothing wrong with that. But once you have things that are tradition outside of scripture, you have to be very wary about them. So, for example, for example we have a uh, potluck on the first Sunday every month in this church. That's our tradition. And that's a good thing. But what if we didn't have a potluck? <laughs> Is there going to be an earthquake and God be angry with us? I know Thacia would, but what about the rest of us? <laughs> She's our hostess, as well as, as well as you fine folk. This is, this is, no, God's not going to be angry with us. It's not the law of God to have this potluck. It's a good, wise thing, all right? It's a good tradition. It's a wise thing. But what if, what if we wrote a letter to another church in Gravelli and says, why aren't you people having a potluck on the first Sunday of every month <laughs> like we are, you know? <laughs> you're, you're not as pious as we are. And that's what's going on here. The disciples of John are saying, you, you know, you're, you're really not very pious, Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, the idea of Jesus not being pious is, is pretty hilarious, actually. <laughs> um, But here's what Jesus says to us on fasting. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18, Matthew 6, 16 through 18, the Lord says, when you fast, don't look gloomy to be seen by others. You're doing it before your Father in heaven. He will see you. So you do it for God. You don't do it for other people. Um, So fasting is a private exercise. And then interestingly, Jesus doesn't at that time or anywhere else give us regular days of fasting. He doesn't say, make sure you fast on Tuesday. He doesn't say that. Interestingly, the early church did start doing that. So this is from 
the Didache. And the men had a, uh, men of our church last spring read through the early church fathers, and the Didache is one of these documents. And here's what it says. Let not your fast be with the hypocrites, for they fast on Mondays and Thursdays, but you fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. That's one of my favorite lines from the early church. Don't be like the hypocrites. Because <laughs> obviously it's hypocritical to fast on Monday and Thursday and not Wednesday and Friday. It, it would be really hilarious if it weren't kind of sad that, you know, this is, this is now a pious way of doing it. So the question is, is that really what the Lord wants us to do, to have this kind of regular fast? Well, here's what Jesus says in our text. He says, verse 15, the days will come when they will fast. And we are in those days. When the bridegroom is taken away from the disciples, he's not there physically with them anymore, then they will fast. So there's a day for fasting, and we are in that day. Then they will fast. And notice what he says about fasting. He said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Fasting is a form of mourning. This is, this is why you're fasting. You're mourning. You're concentrating your prayers. It attends to your prayer. But it's an expression of mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The beatitude of our Lord. Blessed are they who mourn. So there may be a day when you fast in mourning. Again, to concentrate your prayers before the Lord, to single-mindedly attend to him on a day when you need him to attend to you. And that's why we fast. And Jesus acknowledges that. He doesn't set up a certain time, but he acknowledges, you will mourn in this life. When I, when I go away to the right hand of the Father and send the Spirit, there will be a time of mourning for you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So this is fasting. And that's, that's adequate. The bridegroom is with them. They couldn't fast. It was a time of rejoicing and feasting. You know, the wedding, the wedding feast, which we read about in Revelation, it's a feast. It's a time of, I think it was something like seven days. That seven-day barbecue. This is a, this is a lot of fun. Uh, this, is a, this is what a wedding would be like. A long party uh, with uh, good food. And you don't fast during a wedding. That's what Jesus is saying. Is the bridegroom is with them. This is, they're now enjoying his presence. And it's not the time to mourn. So why then does he add this business of the patch, the cloth patch to an old garment, and the wineskins? You know, it doesn't take any special knowledge of sewing or of winemaking to understand what he's talking about. I have no special knowledge of either, but it's pretty obvious. You take, you take some old jeans, you cut out some brand new denim, you know, from your new jeans, and put it on the old jeans, you wash them, it's gonna shrink, all right? And once the patch shrinks, it's gonna, it's gonna get smaller and it's gonna make a bigger tear than what you had before. That's all he says, pretty obvious. 
and winemaking. So why pour new wine that is still fermenting, because you know wine ferments over different stages, it's still fermenting, put it in an old wine skin that's kind of brittle, um, you know, it's an animal skin that they used as a wine skin, it's kind of brittle, and it's going to expand like a balloon and pop, and you'll lose all your wine. So it's rather obvious. Uh, so Jesus is saying this, you, you can't do that. This is not what we're going to be doing. This is not what I'm introducing. Now I want you to think about why he says that. What's new? Well, first of all, the Day of Atonement is about to be fulfilled by the Lamb of God. And then you and I don't have a Day of Atonement. He was not reintroducing a Day of Atonement where we afflict ourselves annually because he was crucified for us. So Easter for us is a time of the Lord's raised from the dead, but also his crucifixion for our sins. So this is, this is what he's saying. And what we do in our theology to explain this is we talk about a change in the administration of the covenant of grace and the substance, okay? So this, this gets into a little bit of theology. If you want to read this, it's the Westminster Larger Catechism. And by the way, if you don't have this book, we have some free copies out there in the on the stand. Uh, this is the Westminster Larger Catechism. I'd like to read this to you uh, because it makes this distinction which goes back to the earliest days of Reformed theology, 1500s, easily. How is the covenant of grace administered under the Old Testament? The covenant of grace was administered under the Old Testament by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, and the Passover, and other types and ordinances which did all foresignify Christ then to come, and were for that time sufficient to build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah, by whom they then had full remission of sins and eternal salvation. Next, question 35. How is the covenant of grace administered under the New Testament? Under the New Testament, when Christ's substance was exhibited, the same covenant of grace was and still is to be administered in the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, in which grace and salvation are held forth in more fullness, evidence, and efficacy to all nations. So this is, in essence, what Jesus is saying. He's saying you can't really continue the types and shadows of the Old Testament into the New the types and shadows are the unshrunk cloth, or the, I beg your pardon, it's the old pre-washed cloth, the old pair of pants. And what I'm introducing is new. You can't put something new on the old. You've got to really transform it. Because Christ is the substance. He's what the Old Testament saints looked for in the administration of God's word for them, that they would understand Christ signified to them, and in Christ have forgiveness of sins administered in an earlier period before he came. But once he comes, Christ is the substance. 
And we are living in the time of Christ having come. And so the way we live our lives as Christians has changed. We don't celebrate Passover and Day of Atonement and the festivals of the Old Covenant anymore. We don't bring animals to sacrifice on the Lord's Day or any other day to uh, bring in as a type a, a show of the sacrifice of Christ. He has come. So that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I came really to change the form of religion. And part of the form of religion that has changed is he's willing to eat with tax gatherers and sinners. People who would have been unclean, people who could not have entered into the temple of the Lord under the old covenant and had no fellowship with God available to them through the temple service. And Jesus is come out of the temple. The Son of God has come down from the holy place of God and he's sitting and eating with the sinners and welcoming them and calling them to repentance and fellowship with him. He's willing to come and be with us. That's what's changed. You no longer have a temple shutting people out with a curtain you can't go into except the high priest. That curtain has been torn from top to bottom, and you now can come into the presence of the Lord. So he's basically saying, I came to change the form of worship. Your worship of me is much simpler because I, the Lord, the substance of the covenant of grace, I've come. So brothers and sisters, here's what we do. We may fast. We may as a church fast. There are times when the OPC calls for a fast of all of our churches and we can participate in that for a particular prayer request that we would concentrate our prayers and attention on God in time of great need. It would be a time particularly of mourning or of the seriousness with which we have to take our prayer duty before the Lord, and that's what happens with, with fasting. But we do that freely. This is, just doesn't come to us as part of the law of God, you must do this. Uh, we'll, there would be uh, ways in which that's explained to you. We could do that as a church. We could call upon the Lord in time of urgent need with accompanied by fasting. You can do that privately. You are free to do that uh, and express your faith through fasting. This is a good thing to do. And the Lord, when he talks about it, acknowledges they will fast in that day. And that's a good thing to do. But he doesn't prescribe a certain day of the week to fast. He doesn't, he doesn't prescribe any day of the year to fast for us. The wineskin has changed. The cloth has changed. We now do this freely as those who belong to the Lord and the bridegroom. We are doing this because the bridegroom has come and we follow him in freedom and the liberty of uh, our conscience before the Lord and the word of God. This is the word of the Lord to you from John chapter 4 regarding this. Beg your pardon, John 14, verses 15 through 18. 
If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Lord, the bridegroom, has left us, but he's not left us alone as orphans. And notice what he says. If you love me, keep my commandments. And what is the commandment of God to you, brothers and sisters? You better fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. No. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the commandment from the Lord. There's the new wineskin. Is love of God and love of neighbor. This is our duty before the Lord. and We work on that. This is why we follow a bridegroom and we look forward to a great feast. And then he's given us a sign and seal of that great feast here in the Lord's Supper. It's interesting. He gives us a sign and seal of that feasting by giving us something to eat and drink. He gives us a sign and seal of our heritage and the new wineskin by giving us the Lord's Supper. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes his words do challenge us, but also they are clear and they are encouraging. They are strength, they are hope and love. We thank you for your love. We thank you for calling us your friends, for expressing your love to us such that you even sent your own son to die in our place, that we may live evermore. And we have this hope before us, O Lord, sure and certain that the wedding feast of the Lamb is our heritage. We have a place reserved for us because of our great Savior and our friend. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.